So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive grace, sorry, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honour for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest together after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Mark, thanks very much for reading the passage for us. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Father, thank you for speaking to us um, as Mark was reading your word. And we do pray that even as we hear your voice today, might you help us to have soft hearts and hear the voice of the Lord Jesus. In his name, amen. Excellent. Uh, the topic that we are considering today is this topic of help. Where do I find help in time of need? Perhaps we are in the phase of history where the future will look back with a sigh. Uh, the, the, the pandemic, I guess, is still around. Uh, the reality of war is, is getting real. And I guess the cost of living is increasing. And maybe we have yet to experience the worst and this issue of help for some of us here in this room or on the call, it might be a really live issue. Or perhaps you're going through a really challenging time at the moment. It could be health-related, could be financially related, or relationally related. It could be a difficult relationship with your boss, or a non-Christian spouse, or someone that you love. Or perhaps you might be needing help on spiritual matters. Uh, maybe you have doubts in your faith, you question the character of God, and you wonder about his existence. Yep. And the temptation to drift, or maybe just to go a little bit cold, feels quite real. Where do I find help in time of need? But perhaps a life for you might be uh, quite okay right now, and that's great. But perhaps we might know others who do need help. 
Well, I guess it's also safe to say that at some point of time in our life, uh, we will all come to a point where we will need help. And it's a really serious issue because in times of crisis, that is where things get most dangerous. It's in times of crisis where most people, they fall away. Let me tell you about Bart Ehrman. I'm not sure if you guys have heard him before. Um, He is an American. Uh, He grew up as a devout Christian, and he attended seminary in his earlier years. But whilst attending seminary, he faced a real crisis, uh, the crisis of the problem of suffering. And what does Bart do right now? Um, Right now, he is an eloquent apostle of deconversion. He lectures New Testament lectures in the university, but he does so to criticize Christianity. And so his experience is not uncommon. You know, when people are in a crisis, that is where things are most dangerous. We are most vulnerable in time of need. And so that's our question, where do I find help in our our hour of need? And based on the discussion over the table there, uh, I know you guys will give the answer. Where do I find help? The answer is? Jesus or God, exactly. Um, And it's true. I mean, perhaps, um, and that's exactly the answer that our author gives. But maybe there is a surprise in our passage about how he gives that answer. And the way he answers that question is not what we would expect. Because where he thinks we can find help is in Jesus, yes, but Jesus as the great high priest. Uh, our key verse is chapter 4, verse 14 to 16. Uh, but just let me read the, first, the start of verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest. And there are times in the Bible where you read something and you go, okay, uh, I guess that sounds great. And maybe this is one of those moments, a high priest. I and mean, what's so helpful about a priest? And we were thinking about priests a couple of months ago when we were looking through Leviticus, and we recognized that the word priest is quite a loaded term in our culture today. You might imagine someone who may be quite old, maybe white, someone who's quite uptight, or maybe more worryingly, someone who is abusive or power-hungry, very cunning. So you might wonder what's so helpful about a priest. Well, what impression you might have, uh, let's set it aside for now and let's, uh, let's allow God to speak for himself. And I guess if we listen, uh, we'll find that all of us, all of us, uh, we can find help in the high priest. And that brings us to our first point on the handout, a high priest. Well, the author, he starts by explaining about a high priest who was chosen from among men. I look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Uh, immediately, we can notice that um, how good it is to have a high priest. Uh, firstly, the high priestly role is a God-given role. A God, he calls him chooses him from among men, and appoints him. And more than that, he does so to act on behalf of men. And right there in verse 1, he's appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. 
And so that helps us to see immediately the high priestly role. It's, it's good. It's got given role. And it's there to represent men. But it's especially good because we find that a high priest can deal gently with people. I look down to verse 2. He, the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is bound to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as it does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, do you see the point that priests are helpful because they themselves are beset with weakness? The picture we need to have in our heads right now is a few thousand years ago, I guess, at Mount Sinai. Uh, Moses, he's up the mountain, getting the Ten Commandments from God, but we are at the foot of the mountain uh, with people and Aaron. And the people are impatient, and so is Aaron. Uh, the people say, is Moses back yet? Aaron goes, no. And then five minutes later, the people go again, is Moses back yet? And Aaron says, no. Uh, no, but he's really taking his time. Five minutes later, Aaron, if Moses is not back yet, make gods for us. And what does Aaron say? Yeah, go on then. Give me your golden rings. Now, do you see the point? The people are weak, but so is the high priest. The people are impatient, but so is the high priest. Uh, people doubt, and so does Aaron, the high priest. And so whenever um, Aaron, the high priest, makes sacrifices for the people, he needs to make sacrifices for himself. And he understands the weakness. He understands the struggle. Uh, we understand this, right? So accountants, uh, they share the same pain of perpetual exams. The architects share the same pain of perpetual long hours. And so people in the same boat, we understand uh, what um, the others feel. And so the high priest, who's human, he shares our experience, and he can understand. But what does it mean for us today? Um, do we go looking for men in robes or go to Catholic confession to find a priest? No. Um, the, the specific priest that our author is speaking about is not just any priest, uh, but more importantly, it's a great high priest. That brings us to our second point, the great high priest priest. I look to verse 5 in our passage. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him. Uh, immediately we get a hint of why this high priest is great. Uh, it's similar to the normal high priest that he didn't exalt himself. But notice it's not just any man, it's the Christ. And what does Christ mean? It means the anointed one, the king. So Jesus is not just the king, the Christ, but also the priest. He is the king priest. And perhaps you have heard a whole range of preachers before, and you have some preachers on one end who are, tend to be quite plain, and then you have preachers on the other end who tend to be quite speculative, uh, spotting all sorts of connection, connections in the text, uh, the kind of connections that make you go, hmm, really, is it really there in the text? I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you think of me, where I place on that spectrum. But here I suggest to you that as the author calls Jesus the high priest, it should make you go, hmm, really? Is that right? 
Because if you really think about it, if you read through all the Gospels, uh, you will never see Jesus being called a high priest. He's called a king. He's always called a king, but never a high priest. Uh, so what is happening here? Uh, is this the earliest recording of speculative preaching? Uh, well, the short answer is no. In fact, our author is doing something uh, really insightful. Um, he's, ex- he's doing an exposition of the Psalms. I look down again to verse 5. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, You are my son, that comes from Psalm 2. You are a priest forever, that comes from Psalm 110. And notice the author is making a connection between those two psalms. But it's not the first time he has done so in the book of Hebrews. If you go back to chapter 1, and notice chapter 1, verse 5, um, he recognizes that Jesus is the Son. But then also chapter 1, verse 13, uh, he quotes from Psalm 110, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So the connection, he has made those connections before. But what the author is doing here is a development more than just noticing connection between Psalms 2 and Psalm 110, is noticing the later part of Psalm 110, that this king is not only a king, but also a priest forever. And so it's worth reflecting a bit of this dual office role of the person of Jesus. So what image does this king bring to mind? Someone who is mighty, who has authority, someone who demands obedience. But how about a priest? Someone who is gentle, who understands, who can sympathize, who can help. And so perhaps this will deepen our understanding of the person of Jesus, someone who is ruler, who is king, who is mighty, but someone who is also gentle and kind. It's a beautiful picture of the person of Jesus. But you see, he's appointed as high priest, not just because of his appointment, but also through his actions through his actions. I look to verse 7 of chapter 5. And here I think it's really interesting. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. The big image uh, we need to have in our mind here is the Garden of Gethsemane, where his sweat is described as great drops of blood, his soul described as sorrowful unto death, his plea, Father, please remove this cup from me. See, what is being described here is the son's moment of greatest anguish. And in that moment, he displays the utmost reverence. Father, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And so the point that our author is saying that he is priest, not just because he has a father in high places, and that's true, but he was qualified 
through learning obedience to what he did in his actions. And when the author says learning obedience right then, verse 8, it's not that he needed to change or to reform his behavior, but to learn obedience as in to experience obedience in the flesh, to take on Adamic flesh, the full experience of pain, suffering, temptation, and death. And so he says, please remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, it's his willingness to submit to the Father's will. It's his actions that qualifies him to be a high priest. And the really glorious thing is that his prayer for help was answered. See, he was heard, verse 7, he was heard because of his reverence. You see, indeed, when he said, not my will, but yours be done, the Father's will was done. His Father's will that there would be a priest forever. And so the answer to the prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane was not a removal of the cross, but resurrection life. The answer to Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was that you, my son, are a priest forever. So Jesus, he is the great high priest, firstly because he's appointed both king and priest. His actions, he was obedient, he was reverent, not my will, but yours be done. And his prayer was answered, and the father answered his prayer. Therefore, he is the great high priest. Maybe you might be asking now, okay, great for Jesus, how does it help us? And the, the thing to notice is that when he said, not my will, but yours be done. He didn't make that cry only for himself, but he also made that cry for us. You see, because the father heard the son's cry for himself, we can be sure that the father would hear his cry for us. I look to verse 9. And he being made perfect or complete, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so as the son prays, um, prayers of resurrection life, he prays it for himself and also for us. You see, he helps us by sharing his resurrection life with us. Um, over the past couple of weeks, I've been encouraging us to see that the, the structure of Hebrews is tracking the journey of Jesus from heaven down to earth as a man, death, resurrection, and ascension. And in our passage today, it's the shift from his humanity to his death and resurrection. And this passage is showing us how his resurrection as the high priest, how it helps us. And that's really helpful because in one sense, this is Christianity 101. Jesus rose from the dead. But what the author is doing, he is pressing in this truth. Because when he rose, he rose not only as a man who lived forever, but a priest who lived forever, a priest who helps us. And so he prays for himself, but he also prays for us. When I was growing up, there was a song that we used to sing in church. It's called Above All by Lenny LeBlanc. I'm not sure you've heard of it. Um, maybe it's a bit more American, so maybe you won't be familiar. Uh, but the, the lyrics in the song receive some sort of criticism um, and for it being a bit too man-centered. And the lyric just kind of goes like this. I'm not going to sing it. I like a rose trampled on the ground, 
you took the fall and thought of me above all. And so the criticism in the song is saying that, well, Jesus, he didn't think of me above all, but he thought of his father. And I guess that's right. I mean, it's right to shift away from man-centeredness to to God-centeredness. I wonder whether there's a false dichotomy here, because ultimately he did think of his father's will, but his father's will was to make him a priest forever for us. And so the purpose of his suffering, yes, was for him to, to honor the father, but it was so that he would become the source of salvation for us, to help us. So in one sense, yes, he did think of us, of his father, but in one sense, yes, he did think of us. So where do we find help in time of need? Well, we find it in the high priest, not just any high priest, but the great high priest, Jesus. And so in your hour of need, uh, when you are facing challenging situations in life, um, maybe now or maybe in the future, when perhaps you had doubts about your faith and you feel the temptation to grow cold, well, don't drift. Hold fast to your confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Verse 14. Let us hold fast to our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All other high priests, they gave in. Even Aaron, the first high priest, they said to Aaron, make gods for us. Aaron said, go on then, give me your golden rings. You see the high priest, is weak, but the great high priest is strong. They cried to him, come down from the cross. If you're really the son, come down. Come down now that we may see and believe. Come down. You see the humiliation, the shame, the lies, and the pain? Well, he knows it all. He has experienced it all. And our tendency to, to feel when life gets hard is to feel alone or to feel isolated, to think that no one really understands what we are going through. But here you see our author, he corrects this and he tells us that your pain, or our pain, never outstrips the pain that he has felt. See, the son, he has experienced more pain, more shame than we will ever feel. He's experienced more temptation to give in than we would ever be tempted. But yet, without sin. So in your hour of need, hold fast, hold fast to your great high priest. But also lastly, not only hold fast, but draw near the 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There are two ways to be near to his throne. Uh, Firstly, to be under his feet, which is to be feeling his wrath. That's where the devil, death, and those with hard hearts lie. But the second way is by his side, at the throne of grace, to experience his mercy and grace. And it's for those with soft hearts, those who trust, those who he has suffered with, 
and suffered for. There's grace and mercy freely available. So in your hour of need, draw near to the throne of grace. Don't shrink back. Keep coming to him in prayer, asking him for help. He is your great high priest. He knows, he understands, and he cares.